Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. There is one Halloween costume that Dad always had in the back pocket on the ready, which was a terrifying cape. My cape that from had college. A, that had a clasp on the front, like a red, lion's riding, head. Like lion's a red riding hood cape. Yes. And you would wear that occasionally to walk us to school. Oh, I don't even remember that, but that it, it also had a pocket on the inside so that when you went through the line at Harper College, you could steal a sandwich and put it in the pocket. <laughs> you could pay for one and steal one. And... The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So um, this is going to be a fairly localized show. We're going to talk about localized topics in Washington, D.C. in the main. Um because we're going to have Neil Greenberg on and we're going to talk about the Washington Capitals and hockey, which we never talk about, and maybe a little bit about the Washington Wizards. And I'm going to be upset at the Open because of the Nats, because of Patrick Corbett, who has had two terrible starts, whose ERA is over 20 at the moment. Is that good? No. Who stunk <laughs> beyond words last night, even worse than he was in his first start, which how's, was how's against his the Dodgers. You know, it, it's just awful. He just gives... he. Walked everybody. He hit people. He hit in a run. I mean, that just doesn't happen. He's there's something desperately wrong with him. And this seems to be going back to what you saw last year. And last year, you put it up on the blip. Okay, you didn't get into your routine with spring training. You didn't. You didn't know exactly well, where you it's were. The same as Strasburg, who missed the whole season. Yeah, and it's it's not. I think as clean cut as just saying because of the quarantine from the COVID contact tracing, he's out of rhythm from what they developed when they were still in Florida. It's. The velocity, he's not locating no. his fastball, and no. his entire sort of profile is predicated on getting the fastball in so he can give you that sweeping slider. And get. And this is a team that has seen him. They know what he's going to do. And so they're well, gonna, he pitched there. Yeah, but you have to wait Arizona. to establish the fastball in, and if you're not going to do that, you're just going to lay off everything. If you look at the standings, <clears throat> the Washington Nationals have the second or third worst record in all of baseball. In all of baseball. Um and Steven Strasburg, who had a wonderful first start, was terrible the other day. Give him more seven-inning games. Terrible. Just terrible. And these guys, if you think back to the World Series, the World Series, among other players, but it is owed to these two guys. They were great. They went into the bullpen when they had to go into the bullpen. They started when they had to start. The Nats were great because of them, because they were able to avoid the Sean Doolittles of the world in... in all the clutch situations. They had Strasburg and Corbin, and they look bad now. And it's, you know, they also, they don't score. They don't, it's not that they don't hit. They leave men on base all the time. They leave you on. Um, they just, they've been bad. And last night, going back and forth with Michael and Chuck Todd and, you know, whoever else was, Alan Bubis was on texting. When Alan is depressing. joining us in our level of despair, then you know there's something to worry about. It was very depressing. So I'm going to get out of the depressing mode and I'm going to... Can I share something? Sure. So everyone knows that it was my birthday. I got some wonderful messages. Great shout out. Still waiting for that Lamborghini, Dad. No, what you uh, got was so, a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich from Bethesda Bagels. So after, that was your after gift. the show, Mom, <laughs> Mom comes up and just goes, you know, I really wanted to get you something. I know you love to cook. And I just interrupt her going, I don't need anything. If you, you know, I like the idea of an experience. If there's a dinner we can do, if there's something we can celebrate together. She just goes, I know you like to cook. So I got you some spices. No, Mom. No, we're good. She got me a clam dip blend spice yeah. along with a can. Of clams. A can of clams. Right, a can of clams. Clams, and, clams in a can. And? 
and a horseradish cream sauce, yes. which is wonderful on some roast beef sandwiches, except yeah. if you check the back what does it for say? the best buy date. Oh, when is it? I got she, a week and a half. She just bought... Okay, well, okay. just make clam dip. I think my mother used to make clam dip, and I think it was very good, but I could be thinking of another person than my mother or it. another universe. I think Good you would recipe like it. right on the uh, seasoning blend. I think you would Need like some it. cream cheese. And if it isn't right, if it isn't good, some worst, just throw some it out. It was sauce. free for you. It was free. It was a gift. As was your sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich. A gift. Not a Lamborghini. <laughs> a sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich. Thank you. Um, from Robert Berg's sister. This is Michelle Monteleone and and we have made it available that people could donate to Rocco's Warriors in honor of a child that passed away a couple of years ago. And this was a very nice note to us and to everybody who has helped that charity. And so um, I'm just, I will thank, on behalf of Michelle, I'm going to thank everybody out there. Uh, also, he said, on January 22nd, 21st, our second son, Luca, came into the world. My brother told me that you make Godfather references on your show. Now, my brother told me indicates you don't actually listen. <laughs> that would be my <laughs> takeaway. So I think you should know that Luca is, in fact, named after Luca Brasi. Uh, my husband is Italian, which is probably a sufficient explanation for the names Rocco and Luca. Also, I've been instructed to tell Michael I, too, have a Peloton. I don't know what this means, but I love the Peloton. And I got a note from a, a, a first name that I was totally unfamiliar with, D-I-A-R-M-U-I-D. It's an Irish name pronounced Dermid. And it's Dermot O'Connor. And he writes, I'm a complete blow-in to your podcast and community. I only started listening about two months ago. However, I've been listening to you for years on PTI. Yes, listening and not watching as I podcast each episode. Why don't I watch? Because I live in Dublin, not the one in Ohio, the real one in Ireland. And he just, he likes American sports. And his sister lives in Falmouth. That's how that's pronounced, right? Nigel Falmouth, Massachusetts. Been there that's 20 right. years now. I visited many times as a kid. I guess that's how I became interested in the NFL. Obviously, I'm a Pats fan. My brother-in-law took me to a couple of games in Boston. By the way, he's from Binghamton. So since last summer, I've become more interested in basketball. The reason is the last dance. And he goes uh, on and on about this. And he says, I watched it with my wife. And each time Wilbon made an appearance, I said, hey, I know that guy. He said he spent years with uh, some time in Vero Beach, Florida. Now, here's the payoff. I'm an airline captain based here in in Dublin. Well, a furloughed one at the moment. Thank you, pandemic. Since March 2020, I've been furloughed, and now I stay at home with our two kids, one four-year-old and the other two years old. Same as your kids, Michael. I found it incredibly tough, tougher than I've admitted to anyone, really. My wife's a doctor and works shift hours at times, and some days are hard. I could say something cheesy like, oh, Mr. Tony, your podcast helps me through the tough days so much, but I do listen, and I enjoy the show, so hey, maybe I should become more cheesy. Perhaps I'll be back to work in a few months, but who knows? Your musings about whether or not your grandkids are smarter than your dog were great. I often think the same way about my own kids. I have no idea why I'm telling you all this, but I enjoy the mailbag segment, so this is my contribution. Then he asks questions. What's a little? Who is Uncle Benny? Why the nicknames for the grandkids? Who is Nigel? Why is he English? Michael is the son, right? Liz? So these are all questions. Liz gets complicated. You know, yeah, this is, these are all interesting questions. And my advice would be to just pay attention, you know, and, and divine it. You'll divine it. You'll be okay. You, it's going to be all right. So I thought that was okay. 
Did I mention that Dr. Chet Maxson has promised Michael around at Seminole for his birthday? Is that good? Do you like that? Uh, you have mentioned that to me off air. So, yes, I will be taking up the good doctor on that offer. So should I tell the Jeff Sylvester story? Got to get ready for the Walker Cup, though. Should I tell the Jeff Sylvester story? Sure. Okay, so Jeff Sylvester um, is a member at Rehoboth Beach Country Club. And a week ago, when I knew I was going out, I signed up for something called Men's Day. Men's Day is a shotgun at 1 o'clock. And... You, you get paired. The people you play with do not become your partners. There's a blind draw for partners, and you're playing what is called a Stableford system. You're trying to accumulate points by getting pars and birdies and bogeys, and double bogeys, no points, and that's it. You're done. You get no points. Um, and, the, and your point total is it's based... All off your handicap. All right? off your handicap. I rarely even reach my point total, and I end up in the minus pool. So anyway, so it's a nice event. Um, it goes pretty fast and I signed up and I get a note from this guy who signs the Jeff Sylvester. He says, I'm a new member and I'm interested in playing with members. Would you mind if I played with you? And I wrote, no, no, I don't mind at all. Uh, there's a couple of things you have to know. I play from the front tees. I'm old and I'm lousy and I'm very chatty. And so if those things are okay with you, then, then it's fine. And you know, you say, well, why does he want to play with me? Well, maybe he knows who I am and maybe he wants that experience. I mean, that sort of comes with the territory of being me at the moment and it's fine. I'm you know, happy to play. I don't really care who I play with as long as they play fast and they're chatty. And he's bringing along a guest. But you've and, also now been a member there for almost 15 years. Yeah, so a long you, time. You are a member who could introduce him to other members who are there. That's right. Know, just not in season. Old people. But I know the old people, basically. Anyway. So I say, fine. So then I get another note from the guy. And the note goes, um, could you take care of this? Because I don't really know how to take care of it. And I wrote him back and I said, no. Uh-uh. No. Just call the pro shop. By take care of it, mean adding him to the yeah. tea time? Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. Just call the pro shop. You or know? take care of it like, yeah, my greens fees and I got a no, guest no, fee. No, no, I Maybe we'll get some lunch and no. a couple <laughs> beers at the turn. Yeah, no, I think it was just do that. So I said, That's no, you, you can do that. It, it's not that hard to do. And then I called the head pro. Pat Mastrium. And I said, what's the deal with this guy? Yeah, of course. What's the deal with this guy? Is he a stalker? I mean, what is the deal with this guy? And he goes, no, he's really nice. He's a good player, too. I said, how good? He said, he's single-digit player. So what does he want to play with me for? And so Pat assured me that Jeff Sylvester was all right. So we go out and we play. And uh, we get to 15. I think we start on 8 or something like that. And then we get to, because it's a shotgun, we get to 15, which is the last par 3 on the course. It's a yellow pin. Um... That's which a means it's pin. back. It's a back pin. It's about a 160-yard shot, and he takes out... To an L-shaped green. Yeah, takes out a six or a seven or something like that. Maybe Ooh, a seven. Tough guy. Maybe a seven. He's a good player. He takes it in. He draws it over the trap, two bounces in the hole. In the <laughs> hole. He gets a hole in one. He gets a hole in one. He's running around like a school kid. I mean, he's... It turns out it's the second hole-in-one in his life. The last time was when he was a school kid in a high school golf match in Delaware. Um, and he's going crazy. And by the way, when you are with somebody who's gotten a hole-in-one, you go crazy too. It's just so rare. It's so wonderful. He gets a hole-in-one. He totally cleans up. He makes about 500 bucks on the day, you know, because everybody... Now, could you see it go in the hole? Yes. And you go, well, I mean, and when you see it go in the hole, you just... You don't like, believe it. There is this moment. It's not a moment of doubt. It's a moment like, let me process this. I think that thing just went in the hole. I think that's but a hole in one. But the worst is when you think something's in the hole, whether it's, it's, not. A, whether it's a hole out, and then you're like, oh, no, it's six feet. Let's, put, let's see you put a mark on that one. Yeah, yeah. So it went in. So it went in. So he was the happiest guy in the world. So I got to share that experience with him 
in this sort of weird way. Now, did you then go to the pro shop and complain about him? No, no, I liked him. He was really nice. <laughs> he was really nice. Most, I liked him. Most communications that dad has with the Rehoboth Beach golf shop go something along the lines of this. You know, the group ahead of us, they're, they're slow. really slow. They're slow. Could uh, you, you, know, you, maybe you get could somebody out here and move Is them there a along a little bit? Here? Yeah, could somebody move them along? Because I've got things to do. You know, I like to play. I, I like go to, to go to, I my go to the and fresh market after. Yeah. Well, I got to go to the rustic farm market as well and get ribs. I'm so very Alan, interested in those ribs. So Alan can <laughs> drop one on the floor and we worry about the dog's he health. Had, but the he dog's had okay. the ribs for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, he kept going back there. But the dog was okay. The dog was okay. As I, did, I, did I mention this, that Alan said, how's Chessie? And I wrote back, the bad news is she threw up at three in the morning. This was a couple of nights ago. <laughs> the good news is it was the Frisbees. It wasn't the bone. <laughs> So anyway, so that was, I just, you know, and I did, and, um, and I shouted out to him last night at the end of the show, just said, Jeff Sylvester, shout out hole in one. I don't know if it even made air. I hope it made air. I'm not sure. Because Wilbon now, it, when we get out of the show, Wilbon now has done, does this Johnny Carson thing where he goes, and now here's Sports Center. And he goes, he, and he does so long that we're out of the show. So I can't shout out to anybody. That's why when I said that Michael had a uh, sausage egg and cheese sandwich, it, there was, we had already left the show. It was, there was no, nothing visual on the air. You could only hear, you heard that, right? I don't watch the show. Okay. But some of your friends heard yes. it. So that was good. Luke heard it, didn't he? Yeah. Luke, Luke, yeah, yeah, Luke watches every day. All right. So we will take a break. Um, and then when we, Neil Greenberg, right? When we come back, Neil Greenberg, yes. That is correct, yes. Neil Greenberg, when we come back. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. So this is the New Hera ad. And, and I have to say that New Hera is a clever name, but it is spelled in such a way that you it, it takes you a while to look at it and decide how to pronounce it but and how it works. But once you hear it, you see it. Yes. New Hera, it's spelled N-U-H-E-A-R-A, new. You, you, it, you hear. Like you hear better than you've heard before. Um, and, and it will make tuning into the show even better. I am using, well, I'm not using them. I have them. We haven't exactly gotten them fitted, not fitted. We haven't gotten them working right. My hearing is terrible. I have the hearing, not just of a 72 year old man, but of a 92 year old man. And part of that, I'm sure, is having things stuffed in my ear on radio and television the for 30 years. The results of your hearing test when you go into the little booth. I, I, I can't world. hear anything. Like, yeah, you're supposed to raise way. your hand when you hear something. I don't hear anything. Left ear, right ear. I don't nothing. hear anything. Yeah. So it's not that I need hearing aids. I need hearing amplification. It's sort of a little bit different, I think. So I want to use the new Hera IQ Buds 2 Max, the next generation of hearable technology that gives you the power to control and alter your soundscape. And it wants me to do a personal experience. We had them in for a little I, while. I can and take this over. So we got it set up. We have it synced up to your Bluetooth. And it's interesting that you start with the fitting because they have different pieces to fit different sized ears. They fit into my ear. Right. So we got it in. We got it connected. And you actually can control a lot of the devices by tapping as, you, it. as you toggle between sort of amplification or using it as a headset by you know going into your Bluetooth setting. And then you can use the functionality of tapping. I don't so know I what had a Bluetooth out, is. I had him out in the yard before the show just tapping on his ear going, and I can't hear it. I can't hear it. And then I started blasting Springsteen. <laughs> just, go, yep, I'm good. I hear it. So that's important. You're going to be blown away with the IQ Buds 2 Max. It's no wonder they were selected as one of Time's best inventions in 2020. Experience the world's most advanced hearing bud for yourself. Go to newhera.com to order today. That's N-U-H-E-A-R-A.com. One more time, newhera.com to experience the magic of IQ Buds 2 Max. And I'm recommending this. 
I mean, the, the small sample I had with it was very good, but then I lost control of it, and, and I don't have it yet. We'll bring it back. Thank you. You're listening, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This comes from Red Heath. Not Red Chief, but Red Heath in Brooklyn, New York. And he goes, my name is Red Heath. I humbly submit a few tracks for my self-titled album to be played on your fine podcast. I've been a PTI viewer since my nascent days at J.D. Lever, or Lever Elementary in Aiken, South Carolina, and haven't missed an episode of your on-demand radio hour since its inception. Thanks for doing it. It stinks. I've been Aiken, South Carolina. I played golf in Aiken, South Carolina. It's like 40 miles from Augusta. I played this great... What was that great course? Sage Valley? Sage Valley. Tremendous course right outside of Aiken, yeah. South Carolina. I believe that a Michael J. Fox movie, Doc Hollywood, I believe that was filmed in Aiken, South Carolina, but I could be long, wrong. Anyway, since that said, I was really inspired to reach out after your recent episode with Brian Koppelman and thought I might offer a bit of sympathy. For the past three years, besides moonlighting as a folk singer, I've worked as a production assistant on Billions. It's fine workplace with an ace crew, but at the risk of my own employment, I'll admit that like you, I haven't seen the show. I would, but it conflicts with me only watching things that I've already seen. Anyway, connective tissue, right? Though we'll see for how much longer. It's wonderful. This is called To Lewis and Clark, right? Or that's two is the is the number on the album. Yes, it's Lu the track number. Clark and that's Lewis. It's Clark and Lewis. It's not even Lewis and Clark. Anyway, he's going to play a couple of times today, and he plays in Neil Greenberg, um, who joins us now. And so we never do hockey except with you, and we only do it once towards the end of the season, and then we do it during the playoffs, and then if the Capitals are out, we don't do it. Because I'm not a hockey guy. But I did notice, and we didn't even do this on PTI, I mean, we are so non-hockey in the last few years that we didn't do this. The trade deadline was very recently. I know the Capitals made a big trade that I want you to talk about, but did anybody else make a big trade? The hockey season, Neil, seems to be flying by me utterly unnoticed, and I'm wondering if that's the case with everybody but the most staunch hockey fan. Yeah, I think the biggest story probably in hockey right now is what's going on with the Vancouver Canucks in terms of yeah. Um, yeah. not being able to play with uh, so, much, so many COVID cases. Um, but yeah, there was a flurry of activity um, at the trade deadline. As you mentioned, the Capitals acquired um, Anthony Mantha from the Detroit, the Red Wings for, for fan favorite Jacob Rana. But there was a lot of movement in the East, and um, I'm actually going to be writing about this in my Sunday hockey column. Um, the East had a, had a lot of moves. Boston picked up Taylor Hall um, from Buffalo, a former league MVP, um, scored his first night with the club. Um, Pittsburgh brought in Jeff Carter, who reunites with uh, Ron Hextall, uh, general manager. Um, so, they're, so they're gearing up. Yeah, the Islanders gave some, got some center depth. Uh, with Travis Zakic and uh, Kyle Palmieri from the, the Devils. And then um, you also have uh, they said Washington made a trade. So, the, yeah, there was a lot of activity in the, in the Eastern Division. Um, and they're going to need it because this is the closest division in, in hockey right now. There's, it's really the only one that has three teams in the mix, um, Washington, Islanders, Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, maybe Boston's kind of a fringe one as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be uh, an interesting stretch for hockey fans um, as we get to closer to the playoffs. Was that a good trade for Washington? Is it a trade for the present or a trade for the future? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, Mantha is uh, under contract for a couple of years. Jacob Vrana was a restricted free agent due for a raise. Um, and also, Vrana was in the doghouse. He couldn't get much ice time. 
Um, but they're they're very similar players. I mean, Mantha's a big guy um, and and can score goals. Ron is more of a finesse guy that can score goals. <clears throat> but um, I think you know, it just he wasn't getting ice time, so he needed a change of scenery. So for the for the Capitals to get a, a top six winger that can actually play and that the coaching staff's comfortable giving them giving ice time to, um, it probably benefits Washington now and, um, you know, the cost control benefits them over the next couple of years. So let me get to this point. They fired their coach, Todd somebody or other, because he had no success in the playoffs. And it just looked like, you know, it, it, it looked like he was such a pale comparison to Trotz that they got rid of him. They brought in Peter Laviolette, who's coached a whole bunch of teams over uh, you know the last 15 years or so and was once on the United States Olympic hockey team and as a player uh I think in Lillehammer I'm pretty sure LaViolette are they a different team are they a better team with him do you like LaViolette or are we are the Caps fans destined to go out in the first or second round yeah I don't know I don't know um, I think the jury's still out. I mean, the team is, is okay. I mean, they they have some good nights, and then they have nights like last night where they lose to the worst team in the league, 5-2. to two. Sabres, um, the, yeah. The goaltending has been a little bit shaky at times. Um, the defensive pairings haven't been great. Um, but I think, you know, with this short season, you don't really have a lot of time to tinker. Um, you know, now you got another moving part um, in in the top six that you have to get up to speed. You know, there's only a handful of games left. Um, but he, I mean, he's certainly got the Caps in contention. He certainly have. You know, they're they're the first in the NHL East. Um, as I said, they, there's certainly been some bright spots. Um, but well, let's wait and see. I mean, the the um, the playoffs are a little bit different this year. Um, so I don't know if you can necessarily judge him on a 56-game season with a with a different um, playoff structure. Um, but so far, I mean, they're they're doing what they always do in the regular season, right? They're at the top of the division. They're scoring goals. They're they're giving up a lot of goals, um, but they're at least um, in the mix in terms of playoff contenders. So let me see if I understand this correctly. Because of the divisional system where you only play the teams in your own locale, and they had to do this to accommodate the Canadian teams, and Canada would not let anybody in from the United States because of COVID protocols, that you will have playoffs within your own division, and then the winner will emerge, and there will be four winners, and they will go to in the semifinals and, and then the finals. I think I have that correct. What I wonder about is like people like you that, that care about statistics and try to interpret statistics and get pretty esoteric with statistics, how will you ever possibly know what's going to happen in the Final Four tournament since none of these teams have played outside their own locale? Yeah, that's a great... Um that's a great question, and we've actually already seen a little glimpse of it in terms of um, the March Madness, right? I mean, we had a very similar type of thing with the Big Ten, where the Big Ten yes, kind of beat yes. up on each other. And um, got killed. And, right, and everybody they, thought they were great, and they got right, killed. Right, and I was one of them. I mean, I thought that, you know, them playing good teams within their own conference. So, um, yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that this year the, the Stanley Cup is, is wide open because we do not know how well – um, you know, let's say, for instance, one of the Canadian teams that have been playing 
um, in against some other Canadian teams that maybe aren't as good, what that's going to look like. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great point. Um, we, we don't know. And it's really going to come down to uh, the actual individual matchups of the teams, right? You're, gonna, you don't, you're almost going to have to go – um, at a micro level, line by line, right? This line will probably match up against this defensive pair and so on and do it from that way as opposed to, you know, well, this team won 50 games and they're playing a team that won 30 games, so right. we could be reasonably right. sure. Is, um, there, is there some statistic, is there some metric that people, you know, who do this for a living are pointing to that can give us a clue to a pecking order or is it just a total crapshoot at that point? I think that the, the one of the things that I'm looking at, I'm looking at um, shot quality. I'm looking at which teams are able to um, consistently create high quality shots because that's going to that transfers, right? I mean, we know if a team is constantly um, in the slot or in the crease or creating rebounds and those type of shots. Um, those tend to be the ones that um, are are more sustainable, right? If you're just getting bomb after bomb from the blue line, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit lucky. So I would say like the Golden Knights, they're really good at creating quality shots. Um, the Avalanche, very good at creating quality shots, and they're also probably the best in the league at limiting those shots. So I think those type of um, those okay. type of skills will travel outside of the division. So I do like Colorado. Um, I think the um, the the Canadians could could be interesting if they make it. Um, certainly, Tor- Toronto has been been scoring at a very high clip um, and also doing pretty well defensively. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at okay. which ones are creating uh, the best quality shots because I think, as I said, that'll be the the telltale sign. As you know, Wilbon hates all statistics, hates them all, and he hates you. Let's make a- no, he hates <laughs> you. Um, he hates what you do for a living because he hates all statistics. But he got crazy the other day because on the PTI show, we were talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. beating out a routine ground ball to shortstop against the Phillies, and Didi Gregorius didn't get it over there faster, even though, and I quoted this statistic, the speed of his throw to first base was the fastest he had ever thrown since 2016. And Wilbon went nuts and said, how can they know that? How can they know that? So I'm passing that question along to you because I had no answer. I just read it. How can you know that? Uh, well, they're tracking everything. I mean, there's, there's cameras everywhere in the stands. I mean, look at what they're doing with, with basketball. It's very similar. I mean, basketball, when they first got the sports view in the stadium, that was converted missile tracking technology. So I mean, they, you know, tech- really, yeah, missiles. We're, yeah, they wow. they they converted missile tracking technology into what we now know as the uh, NBA, you know, sports view at the time, and now it's second. I think it's second spectrum. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they 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 do everything. They do it in golf too. I mean, they're tracking every single spin, arc, angle in golf as soon as the ball leaves the tee, and they do the same thing in baseball. I mean. You know, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Wobon, but we've come a long way from like eight big technology. I mean, we're we're able to track stuff, so um, everything is being tracked, and you're able to make a lot of comparisons. So, um, you know, we're just in a new age. This is this is what's going to be going forward. We're not. We'll never have a situation in sports where we have less data or less stats. It's it's only going to get. Um, it's only going to become bigger. 
Are you excited about the minor league moving the mound back? Do you think that's going to have a major I, impact? Yeah, I, I love shaking things up and, um, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, there's, you know, baseball's rules are rules, but, you know, they're not written in stone. I mean, you can certainly um, make some changes. And I, and I love when they experiment in, in the minor leagues. Um, some things I'm a big fan of, others like, you know, you can only throw a couple times to first base or whatever. I'm not real keen on, but um, yeah, let's see what happens. Let's let's try to make the game as enjoyable as possible, and um, you know, let's let's try to get the best possible product on the field. Because you know, you look at like basketball and football. I mean, people love the action, right? They love the the scoring. They love all that stuff. So. Um, you know, anything that you can do to add an extra element of drama into the game of baseball, I think will be good. I'll get you out of here on this, and I hope it's not unfair. Bradley Beal is leading the the NBA in scoring, and Russell Westbrook is a triple-double machine. He's a consistently great player when he's out there. Why do the Wizards stink? <laughs> um, their defense is, is not good. I mean, they allow a ton of points. Um, and you you need you need at least a serviceable defense in the NBA in order to, to make things happen. Um, yeah, Bradley Beal, great, thirty one points a night, as you said. Russell Westbrook does his thing. Um, but if you're not gonna, you know, if you can't get that defense working, um, or if you're going to be giving up, uh, you know, ten point leads in the in the in the fourth quarter and end up trailing by ten by the time the game's over, I mean, you just you just can't make that happen. So um, this is this has always been a case with the Wizards. The, yes, the, always. The sum is never equal to the parts, right? I mean, it, you always can point to a lot of bright spots on the team, but it just never is able to do it. And I hate to say it, but I've said this before. I think you know, I think Bradley Beal is at the center of that. And not to say that he's he's a bad player. He certainly is not. He's one of the, the best players in the NBA. Uh, but the mix ain't working. Like it just they've tried everything. I mean, there's just the mix isn't working. So um, you know, I think this is a situation that you really have to look at it. And yeah, you have a great player to build around, but you can't build anything around him. So you need to you need to take a critical look at that. I think. Thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to have you on. We'll talk to you during the playoffs. All right, thank you, you, guys. Talk to you soon. Neil Greenberg, boys and girls. We will take a break. When we come back, I think Gary and Chris will join us, and we'll do some news, random news that Nigel has culled from whatever sources Nigel has. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Spring is no longer just around the corner. It's here. And with that, this is the Sunday Read. You know, you know, we did all that, uh, the storage in the basement. We're now outside. Yeah. We're playing out in the yard. And the last thing anyone needs is another complicated or toxic lawn product. But Sunday isn't just another lawn care product. It's a customized lawn plan that works with nature. They take out all the guesswork and unwanted chemicals. So you can w- grow a beautiful lawn that's better for people, pets, and the planet. I love all those ideas. They want me to talk about what we like most about Sunday lawn care, the natural ingredients. I should start there because we have the boys digging and playing in this stuff. But what I really like is we have that show-stopping yard. And right now we got the, the pink dogwood is blooming. We have these deep, deep pink uh, pale azaleas that are about to pop. We've had amazing grass growing conditions here. A little bit too much rain, but we've had some cool evenings, some really nice days. Cool evenings are good. They're, they're very good for growing. And so right now our grass is going crazy. You can right? lose the, the baby in it. 
No, Henry's now tall enough that okay. he's, he sees well over the grass. Now, Walker might intentionally get lost in it. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is our first time getting serious about lawn care. It's our first, it's our first house. And we've had the, the most uh, pain-free experience. They, they basically have you type in your address, and then they give you a customized lawn care plan based upon what they know about your soil. You can go one step further, which we did, by actually taking a sample, having it sent in. And then what they do is they send you uh, basically bags. Did Harry it, carry that, uh, that sample in? That, so that? this goes back to the emails. Yeah. I don't know if he. I don't know if he'll recognize that. Did Harry that take reference. the sample? Yeah. Um, now you sort of ruined that <laughs> visual for me as I take. <laughs> yes, as I attach, as I attach the nutrient feed bag. The Sunday people to have to ask us what yeah. that's about, but they'll enjoy it. They will enjoy that. <laughs> Sunday is made with ingredients that you can actually pronounce, like seaweed, iron, and molasses, so you can grow better and feel better about it. Sunday explains exactly what you get and why, and everything is waiting at your door when you need it. All you have to do is attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray and spray. Lawn care used to take my whole day. Now it takes less than 15 minutes, and it's fun to do. Best of all, this stuff really works, and my grass looks better than ever. That's good. Let Sunday take take the guesswork out of growing a greener, more beautiful lawn this spring. Visit GetSunday.com slash Tony to get $20 off your custom lawn plan at checkout. That's $20 off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash Tony. I'm glad you like that product. That makes me happy. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Red Heath. Remember the, the short story, The Ransom of Red Chief? That's what I think about all the time. But it's Red Heath in Brooklyn, New York, who started out in Aiken, South Carolina. This is called Emily. Um, Michael, if people like Red Heath, who are musicians and want to get their songs heard, over the air, if they want to do it here, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Okie dokie. Nigel, you're in charge of news. Gary and Chris are with us. We have all of us will comment on it, but you're in charge. Go ahead. This is my Al Haig moment. Very exciting it's here. so threatening. Yeah. This is, this is, I just want to go on the record. This is trouble. Yeah. This is when things went on. The, well, before I get to the news proper, uh, you had mentioned the movie Doc Hollywood and thought that yes. might have been filmed in Aiken, in South Aiken, Carolina. In Aiken, South Carolina. I thought it, so. It was not. It was filmed oh. in a town in Florida called okay. My Canopy, I believe. Is that how you pronounce okay. it? It's, it's about 10 miles away from Gainesville. It's, it takes place in a town, a fictional town called Grady, South Carolina. But that was okay. Uh, so I just okay. want to clarify. It's a that. pretty good movie. Doc yeah, Hollywood's pretty good movie. Yeah. Pretty good movie. Yeah. David Ogden Steers from Mash is in that. Yeah, I believe he plays good. the mayor in that. Um, yeah. Well, we'll start off with baseball. I know you talked about this in the show open, and it was not a thrilling day for the Nats at all, particularly oh, not for Patrick God. Corbin. Uh, his line on the day: two innings, six hits. 10 runs, 9 earned, 4 walks, and his ERA, as you mentioned, is now at 21-32. It's unbelievable. Uh, one silver lining in the day, though, Wanda what? Suero had be? a clean inning. One inning oh. pitch, one strikeout. No. Yeah, honest. but he got in yeah. in a 10-4 game at the moment. Chris, did you watch that? Yes, I watched the whole thing. And uh, it was really great when it was 6-4 and still manageable in the second inning, and Corbett, they're like, uh, you know, I think it was FP, uh, fairly positive. Uh, it should be changed to fully positive. But he's like, yeah. oh, I tell you what, we uh, we get this eight place and we get the pitcher up next. We'll get out of this. Literally the next pitch, the guy jacks the grand slam to right. I was like, opposite field, scene. eighth hitter, and, an eighth hitter, opposite and then, field out. And, yeah, and so, then they start yeah. the next like 
three minutes discussing how Effie's like, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't think that thing was going to go. I'm like, it's a home run. Who cares? Who cares what you thought was going to happen? We all saw it go over the fence. Obviously, yeah. I have a lot of pent-up rage. Well, and the, <laughs> well, not, the worst for me was he, he, he not only walked people, he they scored a run on a hit batter. Yeah, he, hit, he hit a guy Jeez. and walked a guy with the bases loaded. I mean, that's like, that's like a thing that it I was, was yelling. League. I mean, obviously, I yell at my yes. kid a lot in Little League, Gary. Right, exactly. But I would, <laughs> yeah. yell, at, I would yell at my kid for that. That's just yeah, that's first arm angle, arm angle. It just that's right. It's just you're, no you're, you're, your arm slot is dropping. I don't the understand. S- the silver lining is that not even Corbin can maintain a three touchdown ERA. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it's just so terrible. I wondered if it was the pitching coach. I was going back and forth with Chuck Todd about the pitching coach. I because I saw Mike Maddox over there on the other bench. And I thought, well, maybe the decline in in the Nats' arms was because of Mike Maddox leaving. But he said, no, he left before the World Series. Yeah, year. he's yes, so, that's right. And so I had know, that wrong. I I still I listened to the show on uh, Wednesday, and the whole Strasburg thing I, I think really remains to be seen. Like the the get the tongue, the, get the cameras out. Yeah, just the, <laughs> yeah. The, like yeah, it was the cameras' fault that you were bad. You like, dude, the reason that you make the money you make. It's because there's cameras everywhere and because people watch you. So I, I still, I, I am not convinced he's 100% fine. Like, all, Might like be a little Richard delicate. Talk, Richard <laughs> just was talking Might about be. the fastball velocity. You know, I mean, that to me is worrisome. I know Michael's going to say I'm overreacting, and I probably am. But, like, given his past, I just, that, that start had every, it had every hallmark of a DL stint except the DL stint. Last year, you know, he did, he yeah. just missed the whole year. Maybe like that felt. Just, just yeah. <laughs> all right. What else? What oh, else? before before I get to the next story, uh, Chris, we did a story uh, last week about Lego thieves and yeah. how lucrative that that business Absolutely. or that occupation can be. And Very then we lucrative. just we discovered that you're actually uh, somewhat of a Lego aficionado. Is that true? Of course yes. he is. Uh, I know. I, I, I prefer the artisanal <laughs> Legos. Um, but, uh, so, Tony, I'm surprised you didn't know this. Michael obviously did. Um, yes, I'm very into it. And basically, well, the way I got into it was, you know, my kids, like Michael was talking about with Duplos, my kids started building. And then I got annoyed that they weren't going fast enough. So I would take over. Uh, kids are deeply inefficient, and I would build, and then, you know, they make it's them for like It's called parallel 16. play. Yeah, is it? Okay. Uh, and so they make them for 16 plus now. So I um, I built a what that massive... Even, what does that mean? They're, they're, like, 16, they're harder? 16? Yes, way harder, Gary. You're talking about thousands okay. of... Yeah, it's, it's called a puzzle, bro. <laughs> no, I'm not interested in puzzles. No, I'm not interested in puzzles. So, in my office, it's an expansive office, a lot of mahogany. Um, there's a um, uh, a Ferris wheel that I built, a full, a, a like Ferris wheel that runs. You now can do like electric things where it'll it'll spin. Uh, that was a gift from my mother-in-law for my kids that I I took over. So maybe. So you you do you actually. Life, but, you build Lego things. Would you? Would you perhaps go to a Lego convention? Would you do that? Uh, no. I mean, I don't, okay. I'm not. I'm not that bad. But I. I have dealt 
in the secondhand Lego market, like some of those guys who emailed you, I've right. pieces that my my you know useless children have lost <laughs> somehow, right. and so I've had to buy them. Now I haven't paid twelve hundred dollars for a piece, but I do have my eye. They have a um, they have like an old British taxi that I have my eye on. That kind of intrigues me. Nigel would be familiar with it, but yeah, it's yes, there are some that are like seven, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars. Yeah. I have to say, guys, and and I'd be interested, Tony and Michael and and Nigel, in your thoughts on this. As someone who knows Chris a little bit, that actually, that's a very pleasant surprise to me, to hear that you're into something like that. I find it cathartic. You know, very few things relax me. And you follow the directions, and if you follow the directions, it's very rewarding. If you follow the directions exactly, you get to this thing at the end. So I don't know. Building stuff is cool. Yeah. I had I had one of those moments in my life. I'd gone to college with a, a guy who became a professor at the University of Maryland, and I did not know this. I was um, I was in Washington at the time, and we were not pals or anything, but we knew each other. And then one night uh, at the Uptown Theater, uh, I think you know one of the Star Wars movies was was mm. premiering in Washington D.C. And I saw him there with his son. His son was dressed up as Darth Vader with a long pointy stick. And, and you know, his son was wow. about 16. Light and saber. I thought, oh, boy, you know, I got to. <laughs> I can't, I can't make contact here. He wasn't like. Your friend wasn't in a contact. Chewbacca suit or anything, though, right? No, but it was, was you, normally know, you don't want that. All right, what yeah. else? No, you can't be associated with that kind of thing. Don't want that. And Gary, ahead. while we don't have time this week, you're on your next appearance. We'd like to talk to you about your passion for Mad Libs and Cabbage Patch Dolls. So oh, we'll yeah. that next time. Yes. <laughs> Book a three-hour um, show for that. Uh, Mr. Tony, uh, adult last, coloring books. <laughs> last Saturday, Lamarcus Aldridge uh, uh, experienced an irregular heartbeat during a game against the Los Angeles Lakers, ended up having to go to the hospital. He quit yesterday. Yes, and while it while it cleared up, uh, he abruptly announced his retirement yesterday. On yeah, Twitter we led for, with that. Yeah, for fifteen. We led with that. I, I, my feeling was, Mike talked about that because Mike had had a heart episode as well. Yeah. And Mike said, "You make all these promises that if it ever happens again, you'll quit. You'll you'll live." Uh, the life on the straight and narrow path and all of that, but nobody ever actually does. I got the sense, and I don't know if Gary and Chris got the sense when I heard about this story, that with LaMarcus Aldridge after 15 years, he probably said to himself, you know, if this ever happens again, I'm out. And it happened again, and he was out. I mean, he just said, I'm out. I'm done. He walked that day. What do you think? I think it's different for a 35-year-old than it is a 25-year-old. And, and mm-hmm. he's, he's a guy who's had a, a good career, an extended career. Yes. A couple, yes. A couple hundred million dollars in earnings. Yep. yep. And, um, you know, I, I am of a certain age. We are all, I think, of a certain age, maybe not Michael, that um, and I, it, it's painful to even recollect this memory, but I've, I've seen someone with a bad heart collapse on a basketball court and, and die. Sure. And I, and I don't ever want to see that again. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's where this thing was headed, but I, you know, as well, he as thought a man it was that age making that decision. I can, that's you right. know, I totally respect yeah, it and and wish him a great life. I mean, he's a young yep. man with with a ton of money, and hopefully, this is something that he never has to deal with. That's what I was going to say. Thirty five is old for basketball, but it's not old for life. And uh-huh. when you've got let let let's say conservatively, let's let's say he's got fifty million dollars in the bank, he probably has more. Why? Like, why risk it? You know what I mean? You're That's 35 right. years old. Like, you're just, you're, if he's got kids, they're probably still pretty young. It's just not worth it. I mean, you know, he, 
I think he is, in a way, lucky in that he is spared from a decision that I think that some people do face where it's like, do I keep doing this because I need to make this money and risk it? He doesn't need to make the, He doesn't need any more money. I don't think Marcus, LaMarcus Aldridge, like Gary said, he's got two huge max deals. So he doesn't need more money. No, Just go live your life. You're 35. What else? Uh, Mr. Tony, you recall uh, a short while ago, I think it was a few weeks back, maybe a month ago, um, the ship that blocked the Suez Canal. <laughs> you recall that? Yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, the, the, the ship is called the Ever Given. And I think what investigators have realized is what the Ever Given was trying to turn around, make a U-turn, and they, they just got stuck as they were trying to turn around. Well, it turns out now, actually, that's completely made up. That's not true at all. Um, <laughs> well, the captain is a clown. No, he uh, is a clown. The Egyptian it's like court. In, it's like in Austin Powers, Nigel, where he's trying to in the tunnel. So an Egyptian court has allowed the Suez Canal Authority to seize the ship until the Japanese firm that owns the vessel forks over $900 million for I last month's traffic jam. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They say that's partly for the cost of moving it, uh, cost for lost transit fees, installed traffic. At one point, uh, I believe that the uh, the Suez Canal Authority claimed that they'd uh, lost a billion dollars um, in lost traffic that weekend and of course both companies uh, the, com the company that owns it and the company that leases it are being like yeah we're not going to pay that i think the closest they've come and said we don't agree with 90 percent of that so gary you're good with math what's what's 10 percent of 90 900 million yeah it's it's something like nine million or something <laughs> here's you. the thing it. <laughs> it's not um you know that ship's not going anywhere it's pretty simple it's not yeah. going anywhere. They're not getting it back. That's all. That's one less ship you have to worry about. I, I mean, it could, be, could become a floating they, casino. Was it no. offloaded? I mean, what what is everything that was on it? Yes. Still on? I mean, the ship's huge. No, ship's I like thought a they got rid of, of a mile it. long or something. Yeah, just I think yeah, it was. It's also stacked very high. So uh, you know how uh, it you doesn't avoid say, that problem? Don't go on boats. I, I just, yeah. it, it's just a simple. It's really a life, well, it's, a, it's a mantra. Just stick so, to not going on ships. So I will say, and I don't know anything about shipping, but I, I, know, uh, you know, I know what we see and read about cruise ships. And I know that cruise ships have gotten bigger and bigger and, and waterfalls and go-kart tracks and all these crazy things on them. Uh, and I, uh, you got to forgive me, I'm the, the uh, Suez Canal portion of my portfolio is a little skinny, but I'm assuming it was built a long time ago, and it's not getting, it's not like adding a lane on Connecticut Avenue. I mean, it ain't getting any bigger. So as ships have gotten bigger and bigger, I think there's like an inherent problem there that maybe this thing sort of exposed. Maybe a ship that's a quarter of a mile long is a little too big. So this is this is what you have to do. It's what baseball is doing when they're going to move the mound back. You have to yeah, figure out. Jake. You have to figure something out with this stuff. And uh, and thank God I don't because I don't want those. <laughs> what else, uh, Mr. Tony? We talked about Lego thieves uh, last week. Well, now we have another type of thief that is uh, the plague of, of modern times. And this is the theft of Darius or Darius, uh, the continental giant rabbit, was. Uh, taken from his owner this past Sunday in Stoughton, uh, back in my hometown, uh, or my home country, rather. Are, are, he, are, you, are you aware of this? Are you aware of the size of this rabbit? This is, this is, he's the world's yes. largest. Yes, the world's largest at four foot three. Now, that's I, not possible. <laughs> that's not possible. Mad hops, too. Mad hops on that bunny. There's, you cannot have a rabbit that's that that's big. That's, 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 a, 
like an elephant. A, you you mean, Tony, a, you're not allowed, and that's why they came and took it? No, how did <laughs> how did this rabbit get to be so large? He's a... a, a well, well, they breed him. Breed, Tony. Yeah, they breed him. He's yes, a they, continental giant rabbit. That's yeah. the breed. I mean, that's like a... That's four foot three is, is like bigger than a great game, right? I mean, it's an eight-year-old. Like gi- it's, it's a gigantic... It's, I was going to compare it to a dog, but it's more kind of like wolf size, right? Can I ask the can I ask the obvious question of, of somebody like myself who knows nothing about how they measure I'm these sure things? I'm sure it was delicious. Do they, do <laughs> no, they pull the stuff. rabbit to measure the rabbit? Is that sitting like normal for a rabbit or are they measuring it? Are they pulling the rabbit's no, they, front they, paws? I think they, yeah, whatever they, they call those it, things. They hold it sort of under its front arms and let it dangle as if it, it's measured as if it were standing upright. Okay, so but they don't they don't actually stand upright. But, but I don't think the ears count. I don't think they count the ears. I think yeah, the way that you measure him is the way, whatever way he tells you, you can measure him. It's like you know Fletch. I mean? It's like you know, so it's Fletch. Foot, it's a four foot rabbit. You know, and like is, And this was stolen, sorry. Nigel. This was stolen. Yes, his owner, uh, former Playboy model and rabbit breeder Annette <laughs> Edwards, <laughs> tweeted about the missing pet. Offering a 1,000-pound reward. Um, as she says, a very sad day. Guinness World Record Darius has been stolen from his home. The police are doing the best to find out who's taken him. There is a reward of 1,000 pounds. Darius is too old to breed now, so please bring him back. And then she upped that reward uh, this past Tuesday to 2,000 pounds. She said, please, please, I'm so upset. Can you bring Well, they probably him? killed the rabbit. Are there any signs that point to theft? Or maybe Darius Yeah, I mean, could, said, couldn't you know he have what? just busted out? I'm, I'm out. moving out. I'm out. It appears yeah. to be a theft, not that, uh, not an escape attempt. By Don't you need to look for like a massive eighteen-wheeler that would fit him, that's weighed down. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think what we, will f- I think what we'll find out as we do in most of these cases, it's an inside job or something like that. So, but we do hope for the safe return of Darius. Has anyone okay. talked to the rabbits of Watership Down? Because that's you know, <laughs> could be that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Gary. Happy Friday. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right, we will take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. That's rabbit is huge. <laughs> this is huge. That's huge. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Michelob Ultra read. In sports, if you think joy only happens after you win, think again. Look at the world's most successful athletes. They don't spend all their days grinding away. They take the time to enjoy themselves, like having a Michelob Ultra with friends, because they know that happiness is the key to winning and that joy is the whole game, not just the end game. In my life as a sports writer and somebody on television, I can think of two teams that exemplified this more than others. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression, because to be a professional athlete means you have to work very, very hard at it. You're in an extraordinarily narrow slice of accomplishment when you reach the pros. But having fun is important as well. I would give you two. I would give you the 2019 Nats, who every time they hit a home run, danced in the dugout. And when they danced in the dugout, the camera stayed on them. And it made all of us who rooted for the team very happy. And there was a sidebar to that. If Adam Eaton or Howie Kendrick were involved in a play that resulted in a run, they sat next to each other on the bench and they did a power shift as if they were driving a car. And that, too, gave them great joy and gave us as viewers great joy. 
The obvious other example is the 85 Bears, maybe the greatest single-season team in the NFL when they put together the Super Bowl shuffle, and everyone went, oh, my God, you can't do that. That's going to jinx you. you got to keep your nose to the grindstone. But no, they were the best team ever. They went through the playoffs something like 91 to 10. And even Wilbon knows how good they were, and I don't get angry when he says it. So that is the great joy that you can take from sports. Michelob Ultra, 95 calories, 2.6 grams of carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. As ever, our great thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren for that. Najee, you want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. All right. uh, Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say now the seats are all empty. Let the roadies take the stage. Pack it up and tear it down. They're the first to come and the last to leave working for that minimum wage. They'll set it up in another town. That's Jackson Brown. That thing was recorded live, I believe, at Meriwether Post Pavilion about 40 years ago. I think so. Our thanks to our guests today, Neil Greenberg, Chris Eliza, Gary Braun. Our thanks to our sponsors as well, Sunday, New Hera, and Michelob Ultra. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show on iTunes, please leave us a review. I just wanted to read this from Eric in Nashville, Tennessee. Since the Nats bullpen fills you with angst, but rest assured, former Nats are providing ulcers to new legions of fans. I present to you the last two outings of Sean Doolittle. On Friday, the Reds held a comfortable 5-1 lead against the Diamondbacks with two on and two out. Do promptly allowed a two-run double to left-handed hitting Cole Calhoun. An inning later, the D-backs tied the game. In this instance, the Reds overcame a shaky pen to win in 10. As I write to you tonight, he was asked to protect a one-run lead against the Giants. He got one out before surrendering a laser shot to Evan Longoria. For good measure, he walked Buster Posey, who later came around for a go-ahead run. I can't stand him. Do you want him back? No, I can't stand him either. Uh, From Mike Todd, not that Mike Todd in Columbus, Ohio. In one of your recent emails, a little mention that Sinclair Oil, excuse me, was bought out by the Atlantic Richfield Company and was renamed Arco in 1969. What does Arco mean? I guess we'd have to ask Alan Arkin about that. From Michael Barron in Potomac, Maryland, you're talking about Legos. Very surprised to hear a Lego conversation on the podcast. Very insulted by Tori's remark that Legos are for 55-year-old men who live in the basement. I don't live in my basement. I only build my Legos in the basement. (laughs) Over the past few years, I've developed kind of Lego passion. Great way to pass time while listening to the podcast. I've attached just a few of my Lego projects. He's got one. He's got the Nationals field. Yeah. This is, you know, Michael Barron in Potomac. He's got the Nationals. Michael, did you see this? No. He's got the entire Nationals field that he built. He built, uh, oh, he built the yellow submarine from the Beatles. That's right, He's isn't that cool? Bu- these things are unbelievable. He's built <laughs> basically Buckingham Palace. Look at these wow. things. They're incredible. From Rob in Palo Alto, is Odyssey just Odyssey from Revere, like a stalking <laughs> stuffer? Uh, it's funny. From Tony Beeson, who has a piano in Cincinnati. As I listened to the news story about the West Virginia uh, gentleman who'd faked his wife's death, 
cleverly by having her hide in a closet at their home, I could think of only two words. Greg Garcia. If ever a story deserved a my name is Earl treatment, this is that story. Indeed, as Tori Clark described it, its title should be West Virginia Love Story from Alex in Paris, France. I decided to introduce my seven-week-old feminine child to the podcast by listening to the show with her. I'm sorry that our first impressions were not that great. She cried all the way through the segment with Wilbon and then slept through the Pat Forty segment. I will let you know how she gets on when she hears Saliza, although I have a feeling it will involve a liquid coming out of an orifice. Yep, there it is. (laughs) From Nick Ferry. Dear in Tampa, as a loyal little in what I'd expect to be the lower quadrant of your target demo... Um, in Tampa, I'm writing to thank you on behalf of all millennial littles. Bet you didn't see this coming. I heard you read many emails thanking you for including your personal stories in the open and sharing samples of connective tissue across the globe. Much like you've spent the last year working from Uncle Benny's table, I've spent the last year working from our granddaddy Jack's table, meeting with clients and co-workers on what you so properly call the Zoom. One thing I felt over the last year uh, remote is a significant void in the inter-office collaboration, camaraderie, and sharing of personal experiences with colleagues. I expect most of your remote littles feel the same as I do. When I say your stories of Bootsy and the Hammer and the Honda Civic stalking and the free steak delivery injustice and the adventurous ravioli recipes have made up for the lack of water cooler chatter. Thank you for sharing with us over a especially over time of such disruption and isolation. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? From Aaron in Nashville, you can't fool this old Gentile. I know the four questions, and Bootsy taught them to me. One, who's your favorite pitcher? Max Scherzer. Two, what does Scherzer do? Pitch. Three, who's your favorite hitter? Soto. Four, Soto. Meh. From Paul in Lindsay, Ontario in Canada, I think you misunderstood Bootsy when he was saying dinosaur. He wasn't telling you about his toys. He was telling you what he thinks you are. He probably didn't appreciate being compared to a dog that eats Frisbees. Uh, from Erin in, in Winnipeg in Manitoba in Canada. Listening to the excitement which you talked about the Godfather movies make me think. It made me think about some wonderful memories and saying thank you. You and Wilbon spoke about Colin Morikawa's speech after he won the WGC event this year. He talked about saying thank you because sometimes a life ends before we get the chance. Your talk about The Godfather reminded me of a memory from when I was just a teenager living at home with my family. One year on Christmas Day when everyone was going to bed after a really long day, my dad pulled me aside and asked me if I wanted to stay up to watch The Godfather. How could I say no? It started a tradition. We watch one and two each holiday season, always late at night, just the two of us, after everyone has gone to bed. They are still my dad's favorite movies. In your words, that's the list. I don't say this enough, but thank you, Dad. Thank you for everything you've done for me. This is one memory I will cherish forever. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who's your favorite pitcher? Max Scherzer. <laughs> what does Max Scherzer do? Thanks. Who's your favorite batter? Soto. Soto? Uh. <laughs> the four questions, kids. <laughs> I want to follow into the wildness in the Just need a warmer place to set my bones. 
There's an ocean across which you're sleeping. Well, I am bound. I know not the way. In the summer. in the woods one day just to make my clean escape made my bed where the river rolled scrubbed my skin till I felt young again never said goodbye to you cause I felt so old if you Give me Emily I shacked up with the sunrise kid In a hollow where the polecats hid <laughs> Nothing gold's everlasting Open my eyes And the live long day 
But I never say goodbye to you Or the night so cold If you forgive me, Emily Child tall as a bush Now tell me what the rush is anymore Ivy years don't grow slow I'd like a chance to stay here And never go And never say goodbye to you And grow so old If you 